wonderful job, and it was great to be able to see him and, and uh, Emily and the family. If you have a Bible, let me encourage you to go to Galatians chapter number one. Galatians chapter number one. If, if this is your first time with us, or maybe the first time in a long time, we're in a, we just recently started a series through Paul's letter to the Galatians. And we've said each week Paul's writing this letter because there's a group of Judaizers trying to come into the church and teach that, you know what, faith in Jesus is important, but it's not enough. It was necessary, but it wasn't sufficient. And so Paul writes this letter to confront this false teaching to the church. And he began, as we saw through the last couple weeks, he began by laying a foundation of who he is as an apostle. Not an apostle of man, an apostle of the risen Savior. Not, in a, not preaching the gospel of man, preaching the gospel that I received from the resurrected Savior. And, uh, and he's preaching that the good news of the gospel is that the only way to God the only way to have a right standing with God and the only way to grow in God is not through any of your own efforts. It's through belief in the efforts of Jesus Christ. And as we saw last week, Paul begins to turn to his own testimony. Now he turns to his testimony for two reasons, and we're just going to focus on one today. But he turns to his testimony for two reasons. One, as an example of this grace of the gospel, but also because he's going to continue to use it, and we'll see this next week, as he lays the foundation for why he is confronting this false teaching. And part of the reason is because I know what God did in me. But last week we saw the first beginning of Paul's testimony. It was in verse 13 of Galatians chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, that's where we'll begin and we'll reread. And these should be familiar to you because we read these verses last Sunday. Paul was writing this and he said, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. And we'll stop there. But remember last week we talked about this paradox of how Paul was a devoted, a promoted, a zealous religious follower. Yet at the same time, his life was defined by violence, persecution, and destruction for those who followed the Son of God. And when we focus on how easy it is to allow a pursuit of religion to blind us from the true condition of our hearts. I mean, I have no doubt that most of the people who, who today did not make time for the Lord, maybe they don't know the Lord, maybe they had a greater priority in their life today. But as they drove past Mount Carmel and they saw you walking in from your car into this, my guess is they could have easily have thought, wow, that's, now that's a person who pleases God. And maybe in your own mind, as you got out of the car, you walked this way and thought, you know, I am a person who pleases God. But let's be honest. Let's look at the condition of our hearts. Today, or this, this past week, um, how many of you were unkind with people you did not need to be unkind with? How many of you had a sharp or a harsh word, or even a, a hateful word to someone? Us as husbands called to love our wives as Christ loved the church, how often did we fail to provide that kind of love for our own wives and, and wives who are called to submit to their husbands as Christ submitted to the Father? How many times this week alone did we fail? And yet sometimes the activity of religion blinds us from the true condition of our hearts. We saw that in, in Paul's life 
which should be this reminder, we don't gather today because we're good. We gather today because our king is good. And we are not here to show anybody our righteousness. We are gathered today in worship and praise of his perfect righteousness, which he freely offers to us through grace and faith of Jesus. How many of you have ever seen the, 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 either the movie or read the books, The Lord of the Rings? Would you raise your hand? Okay, so we, we actually we started watching that this, this week at our house for some reason, and, and my, my mind um, went there, but... It, the, the author of uh, The Lord of the Rings, his name is J.R.R. Tolkien, and, and he was good friends with another author, theologian named C.S. Lewis. Lewis uh, wrote many, many books, but he's well known for his children's books, The Chronicles of Narnia. And, and if you read The Chronicles of Narnia or The Lord of the Rings with gospel goggles, you would be absolutely amazed at the gospel overtones, the gospel undertones that you would find in, in these two, two books. Interestingly, in, in the Lord of the Rings, there's this, this ring of power, and, and there's two characters that are presented to us, and, and, and the, way that they, the way that they desire or, or the way they interact with this ring of power really shows us, well, our own battle, our own lives. There's, there's Gollum, and again, if you've ever seen the movie, you know Gollum's an ugly creature, but, but he is someone who, when he came into possession of the ring, his, that ring took complete control of his heart, and he, he wanted it so bad that he was willing to give up anything and everything in order to hold on to this ring of power. And yet his, his life was marked by loneliness, by distrust, by manipulation, by violence, because he was willing to do anything he could to have that ring. And it consumed him. The other character is Frodo Baggins, who's a hobbit. Um, and, and, and he is given the ring. And, and he is told that this ring has too much power. And that much power will destroy anyone. So you need to get, get rid of the ring. And he goes on this quest to destroy the ring. And you see, he goes through difficult times. He goes through very hard times and, and, and as the book continues that, that, that corrupting power of the ring begins to work in, in Frodo's heart and so this, this overtone of, 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 the, of the Lord of the Rings is all about the armies of good and evil fighting one another but the real ultimate battle is taking place in one man's heart do I hold on to this which would give me all the power I would want or do I surrender it knowing all that power that I want is only going to corrupt me? So you see Gollum who turned ugly because he wanted that. And you see Frodo becoming the hero of the story because he's willing to give up that power. That's what's happening in so many of our hearts. We have this idea that religion is going to make us right with God. No, no. Religion will never make you right with God. Jesus makes you right with God. Religion is sometimes put in place as men think this step will help me. This step will help me be right with God, but that will all fail. Only Jesus makes us right with God. But we only get the righteousness of Christ when we're willing to surrender our own power, our own desires in order to, to follow him. 
And that's what Paul, and we're not going to go backwards, but that's what Paul was talking about in, in verse number four of Galatians 1 when he says that, that, that we, Jesus has delivered us from this present evil age. He's, Jesus has delivered us from the thinking that we must have it all and realize that he has provided it all for us. But we must go by faith. And so we see in, in Paul's life, he was a man who pursued religion with everything he could until the day that he encountered Jesus. And that's what we're about to read. Because in the moment he encounters Jesus, all these things that were important to him, as he'll say in the book of Philippians, he'll, he'll write a letter that said, I had all these things, but I count everything that I was as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, my Lord. And so Paul moves from these verses of chapter, of chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. This is who I was to now. This is who I am. Look at verse number 15. And Paul says this. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Now I'm going to pause there because what Paul is going to continue to say throughout the rest of the verse actually connects to what we're going to get to next week, which is why he's using this testimony as a part of his apostleship. But right here, Paul is saying, this is who I was. But, but God, but God stepped in. And that word but is, is, it's a conjunction, you know. It takes, it takes two independent thoughts and it connects them. And, and, it, and it connects them either with, this is bad news, but now it's good news. Or this is good news, but now it's bad news. Sort of, sort of like you ever watch a, you, you, you football fans, you watch your favorite team playing. And, and all of a sudden there's a, a long touchdown pass by the other team. And you're like, ah, oh, but. The little yellow button comes up and it says flag on the play. And you're like, yes, it was a great play, but it doesn't count. You know, that's so exciting, right? Or, or when you go to McDonald's here in Luray for an ice cream cone. <laughs> but, oh, the machine is broken, right? Like, like every, I don't think it's just here. I think it's everywhere. But uh, yeah, I don't know if there is a McDonald's ice cream machine that works. You know, you're like, you're so excited about getting ice cream. But the machine is broken. Oh. Or you're a student and you, you walk into tests and you walk into class to forget there was a test. Ha! Huh. But hey, you actually knew the material that was on the test and you scored okay. Or you receive a phone call about someone that you love being in a car accident. But they're okay. You know, and that, that, that's a lot of what, what Paul is, is bringing here, that there's moments where we, we look at one side and then, but God works. And Paul loves to remind his Christian believers that he gets its chance to lead. He loves to remind them of but God moments. I want to read you two passages of where, where Paul says this. The first is in Titus. This, this is, I'm sorry, where am I? The first is in Titus. Here we go. Here's what he says. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But 
When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Oh, we were foolish and disobedient and slaves and hating one another. But God showed up with his goodness and his mercy and he saved us. Man, that is good news. He says the same thing to the Ephesians in chapter 2. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Whew, that's a that's not a fun description of who people were. Huh. But God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved. I love, I love, and I love it in Galatians 1 here is where Paul gives his but God moment, right? I was passionately pursuing the religion of God, but God was passionately pursuing a relationship with me. Oh, man, what good news that is. And we all need to have a but God moment in our life for some of you you grew up never attending church and did not know Jesus at all but God rich in mercy showed up to you maybe maybe through the conversation of a co-worker or a friend or a family member and you have come to know the loving salvation of our God others of you grew up in church Maybe thinking that you were good and at some time God showed up to reveal the truth. Maybe through a sermon, maybe through a Sunday school lesson, maybe in, the home, maybe in your own home and God showed up to remind you, to show you, no, no, it doesn't matter where you live, you are still a sinner separated from God. But Jesus has made a way to the Father. We all need a but God moment. Last week, if you were here, you know that I cut the, cut the sermon short and we were supposed to get through these verses and, and throughout the week as I was trying to say, Lord, what do you, what do you want? I, I actually became very excited that the Lord allowed us just to spend some time on Galatians 1 verses 15 and 16 because these two verses have played a very impactful role in my life over the last couple of years. I've shared with you, at least I've tried to share with you much. I, I tried to share often with you the of grace that I know the Lord continues to work in, in my own heart and in my own life. And, and when I read these two verses, I, I always come back to them when I'm telling other people, listen, God has done an incredible work of grace in my life and I feel so much, not as, as I'm on the same plane as the Apostle Paul, but I feel when I read these verses, I feel so similar to the Apostle Paul and these verses have helped me accept what God has done in my life in the past. 
and to anticipate what God is going to do in my future. Because if I could define my life, I was a passionate pursuer of religion. And I was someone who would violently attack others with my words if they didn't pursue religion like I did. And I was zealous in my labor for the Lord and have been given many opportunities to engage in work for God. And I would often look at what I did for God as my standing with God. And I found great pride in what I believed I was accomplishing for the Lord. I had a but God moment. I had a but God moment when I was just a few years old and I was saved in my home at Calumet City, Illinois. I was saved there and that was a but God moment. But I continued to live a life of of pursuing religion and it was about 12 years ago as I was reading a book written by David Platt called Radical. And I don't tell you about the book, there's no, no need to, but as I was reading that book, God awakened something in my heart. And from that time until now, I feel like God has continued to take me on a journey as he continues to reveal Jesus more and more to me. And here's where I've come to land. I come back to Galatians 1, 15 and 16 and I tell myself, and this is what I hope to encourage you with today. God always knew what I was doing. And God always knew the timing of his plan to reveal Jesus to me. Without going into all the adverb questions, I want you to take assurance that God knows what is going on in your life and he knows where you are in this very moment. And God is planning a when, if he has not already. He is planning a when, when he is going to reveal Jesus to you. And when he reveals Jesus to you, you will begin to understand the why. And I think the struggle that we often have as believers is we want the why first. And God says, no, it's actually not about the why. It's actually about the who. God, what's going on in my life? We ask the what. what. May I ask you, do you really think God doesn't know what's taking place in your life? Is there anyone here who would say God is blind and God is mistaken and God has no idea what's taking place in my life? No, God knows what's going on. He also promised that he would never leave us nor forsake us and that means he knows where we are. But so often, even though we know God knows what's going on and where we are, we look at him and we say, Why? But no, that's not the answer. That's not the question to ask. It's not why. When will you reveal Jesus to me? Because I know it's when I see Jesus in this particular situation that the whys will all take care of themselves. Sometimes those whys are absolutely revealed clearly, then other times they're still hidden from us. 
But we have to know that the one who knows the what and the where, he also knows the why. And I want to just, just take, uh, take these verses, and I want to just want to walk through the, the phrases with you real quickly and try to encourage your hearts as we walk through Galatians 1, 15 and 16. Paul says, but when? I'm going to admit these two, verse, these, these two words have brought great comfort because there are times in my life as God continues his work of grace in my life where I want to throw my hands up and say, God, how come you didn't show me this earlier? I'm listening to a podcast. God, why didn't I know this 10 years ago? I, I'm studying for, for, for a, a master's degree and I'm learning more about Christ. Like, why couldn't someone have showed me this 25 years ago? I feel like my life would be so different if I knew then what I know now. right but let's think of Paul's life Paul grew up in the home of a Pharisee attending the synagogue week after week learning the law of God a student of the word of God may I ask you do you think God knew exactly where Paul was and what Paul was doing oh so so you're saying God just let him be a Pharisee God just, God just wanted him to be that kind of a person. That, listen, I don't think God is the author of evil at all. I don't. God's not the author of evil. But God knows what's taking place in our life. So I, I come to this, and it's like when I read this, I still remember the first time that these words jumped out of me. But when it pleased God to reveal Jesus to Paul, ha! Huh, What that means is God always knew there was a time when he would reveal Jesus to Paul, but he allowed him to live a life of Judaism. He allowed him to live a life of Pharisaism. And and he would go to synagogue after synagogue, always thinking this is why. And God always knew, no, that's not why. Because there's going to be a day when I reveal my son to you. And when I reveal my to you, you are now going to be equipped to walk into any synagogue in the world, and the Jews who would never listen to anyone else will listen to you because you grew up as that kind of a person. You grew up as a Jew. You grew up as a Pharisee, and so they're going to listen to you when you say, I have the truth, and the truth is, it's not in the works that we perform. It's not in the keeping of the law. It's in believing in Jesus. Paul was going to take that message all across the world. Why? Because that's how he grew up. And God always knew what and where Paul was. It was the when that Paul was waiting on. But it wasn't just the fact that Paul was a Jew. Because he would also, this is, this is so cool to me, he would also, God would use Paul as a covenant member of the Jewish family, right? So Paul's a part of the Abraham's family. He would be the one to go with the message to the world that the family of Abraham is no longer those who are only of the Jewish descent. Now the covenant family of Abraham is open to anyone who will believe. Oh, I read that and I'm like, this is so cool. So when I look at my life and I'm like, God, I grew up in this kind of an environment and I I wish I would have grown up with an environment of grace and joy and so excited about understanding the gospel. Why did I grow up? It's like, no, no, don't stop. Why? As I reveal Jesus to you, 
you'll see the why. And I have. Because I've been able to have so many conversations with people who grew up so similar to me. And we get to talk about the goodness and the grace and the freedom that comes in the gospel. And I'd never have those conversations if I didn't have the past that I had. Paul would stand up as he traveled and he would not just speak to the Jews, but he would speak to, to Gentiles. And then let me read you what, what Paul writes to Timothy. And just, just think, of, think of, a, 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 of the most religious person that you could ever think of saying these words. I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ in my insolence, I persecuted his people, but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance, unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that came that come from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all, but God had mercy on me. So that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners, then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I'm like, Paul, like, I was the worst sinner, you know. I'm the chief of sinners. When, when a man like Paul would stand up and say that, just think of the invitation to Jesus, the people who saw themselves as far worse than Paul. Oh, he, he was, he, his past, his what and his where set him up so perfectly for when Jesus came, when, when God revealed Jesus to him, he was ready for the new, for a new purpose in his life. And that was the persecutor turned preacher to go all over the world with the good news of the gospel. We, we have the letter of Galatians only because Paul grew up in Judaism and he was the one to know how to confront it. Oh, that's so awesome. But when, because God's got a perfect time. But when he would set me apart before I was born, I won't take as much time on every other one as I did on that one. He loved it. I love this. But when he would set me apart before I was born, you gotta understand what, what Paul's saying, right? Paul, Paul's saying God didn't choose me because I had anything to offer. He actually chose me before I was born. Before I had anything to offer, he chose me. He actually, I, to, to me, as I study this, I think he's referencing a Jeremiah who was an Old Testament prophet who also said before I was called, or before I was born, God called me. But here's the thing. If you know the story of Jeremiah, you got to think with me. Th think, let me have your brain for just a moment. No one listened to Jeremiah. God called this man to be a prophet to the nations before he was born, but no one listened to him? What's the point then? Oh, because Jeremiah, you did make a difference. You see, we actually handed out pens last week to people who graduated that had words that Jeremiah wrote. Now, we sometimes 
take these words and we don't use them in the context that they're given. In Jeremiah chapter 29, 11, Jeremiah wrote, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. That's, that's great. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me, come and pray to me, and I will hear you. Those are all great things. The problem was, Jeremiah was prophesying over a group of people who would never repent. And his whole purpose in saying these words is, God's not giving up on you even though you're giving up on God. He still has plans for you. And here's what amazes me. Jeremiah's called as a prophet from inside the womb, and he preaches repentance and never sees it. But then he prophesies guys God's goodness but he's not alive to see God fulfill it. He goes on and he'll say, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is what Jeremiah was called as a prophet to do, to declare there is a hope. And I don't even get to be a part of it. But I'm still going to do, and I'm still going to say what God wants me to say, because he knows the why. My son is getting married in December to a beautiful girl that he met who lives in Stanley, Virginia. And I cannot tell you how many times over the past probably four months I have prayed and I have gone to my place at Mount Zion where I love to talk to the Lord and I have said, did you bring me here so that I could be a pastor of this church or did you bring me here because you have a future planned for the children of my son and his wife one day that never would come to pass if we didn't at least come to Lure. Like that all of a sudden blows my mind. I mean, when we moved here five and a half years ago, we moved here to pastor this church. God's like, no, 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 no. It's way more than that. Both of my boys are, are in relationships with young ladies that they never would have known had God not moved our family here to pastor this church. But I'm wondering, like in my mind, ultimately, God, you weren't really bringing us to pastor this church. You were bringing this because you had a plan for our family, didn't you? Like, right, and that's where we have to be. We have to stop asking why and trust the one who knows. He says, and who called me by his grace. I mean, I love this, but we won't spend any time here. Paul could have been and should have been condemned, but instead he was called by his grace. When God was pleased to reveal his son to me, when God knew it was right, When God knew it was right, the right timing, Paul was ready for the purpose that he had. Jesus revealed, Jesus was revealed to one of God's greatest enemies. And here's the thing. Paul wasn't even pursuing Jesus. Wait, what? Don't just say you gotta, when you, when you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. That's, that's what he said, right? We just read it in Jeremiah. What's Paul's What's Paul's testimony? I'm going to persecute the church. I'm going to hurt the body of Christ. And guess who shows up? <laughs> like, wow, that's not fair. He's not even looking for Jesus. You're right, it's not fair. It's grace. 
and it's the same grace every one of us has received by God through the person of Jesus. I love it. It says, was pleased to reveal his son to me. Some translations will say, pleased to reveal his son in me. And I think both of them are correct. He did see him. Jesus was revealed to Paul, but, but it was more than just a revelation outside of Paul. It did something inside of Paul. It moved Paul's heart in such a way that he realized he wasn't just revealing Jesus to me. He was revealing Jesus to me so that Jesus could be revealed through me because he says, he came to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul's whole purpose is like, I was shown Jesus not so that I could keep it, but so that I could share it among the Gentiles. Like, oh man, that means God's grace in Paul's life was never about Paul. The glory, it was about the glory of God being revealed throughout the, throughout the world. God would use a covenant Jew as a primary mouthpiece to bring in the Gentiles. I'm like, oh man, that's all. This, this is so amazing. God's grace is never just about you. I think one preacher would say, stop being a bucket and start being a funnel. Don't collect God's grace. Let it run through you to others. So, what are our takeaways? Rather than seeking the why, seek the who. Trust that God knows. And rather than looking for a way out of your circumstances, invite Jesus into your circumstances. And continue to celebrate the grace of God in your life. Share it with others. Never, ever, ever get used to it. And keep the grace of God flowing through you. And here's what I really hope that you get. Your past has a purpose. Trin, would you go? We're going to sing that song one more time as we, we leave today. Jeremy, come on up here for just a moment. Can I share what, what happened last week? I think most of you that have been here the last couple weeks, you know this is the fourth week in a row this guy's come to church. And I told you before, he, we met because Joe Fogel's truck broke down and God's doing a work in, in this man's life. And man, he just showed up, got lost, was going to go home and came. Last week, the Lord, was, the Lord was here with us, no doubt. The Spirit of God was, was meeting with us. You all left. I turned the lights off in the auditorium and I went to my office and I was by myself in my office when I heard a, hey, I walked out and, and Jeremy, Jeremy walked over and said, I don't know what's going on right now, but I've been out in that parking lot weeping for 25 minutes. And then he used these words. Now, I won't forget that you said this. He said, I, I sat out in the car and I finally said, Lord, I'm done fighting. I'm like, that's it. But that's it. I'm done fighting. I'm done doing it my way. I want to do it your way. I'm just done fighting. 
And I was like, man, this is, this is so cool, Jeremy, because like you have been a week after week revelation to me of the grace of God. And here's the thing. This guy and I, I grew up in church. This man has a testimony, and I know one day you'll get to hear it, but because of an overdose, this man stopped breathing and his heart stopped beating. And God brought him back to life. And when I heard that story for the first time, I said, and there's a purpose behind that. It didn't happen just because. There's a purpose behind that. And God is after his heart. And God is after his life. And the, the cool thing is I get to get to hear, man, I, I'm just crying. I don't even know why. I've been there. I've been in those arguments with God. I've been in those tug of wars with God where you're just crying. You're like, I don't even know why I'm crying. I shouldn't be crying. This is a good thing, but I'm crying. And it's, it's like that. I just got to let go. Oh. This man needs the grace of God as much as this man does. I grew up, I've never tried alcohol. I've never had, I've never smoked or done drugs. I've never put something into my body that an illegal substance. But I'm gonna tell you something. I stand here in need of the grace of God as much as you. And it is only by the grace of God that we are standing on the same platform in a church that is here because we worship our King. It's his story that he's writing in us. And the cool thing is our stories are being written and they're intertwining with one another. Just think about this. He took some, some stinking punk from Chicago and brought him out here to write into your story. He brought you back to life so that your story could be written in mine. That's the grace of God. That and the when, that's his job. He knew what you were doing. He knew where you were. He never authored sin in your life. But there was a moment when he wanted to reveal Jesus to you. And it was really cool that I just got to be a small little part of that. Man, this is the grace of God at work. And this is why we need to go out with the message of the song that we'll close with. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Because this world, this community needs to know about the grace of God. Because as Paul said, this grace did not come to me. It came through me that I might preach him to the Gentiles. God has someone to use your past to preach the grace of God to this week. Are you gonna? Are you gonna? Father, we thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for my friend and I thank you for the encouragement this man has been to me. I thank you for this church and the way that we have been able to share the journey of life together over these last five and a half years. And God, I, I, I just go back to those, those words, but when? That the timing is all yours and you're in constant pursuit of us and that timing is just, hey, when are we willing to give up? And Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here today that doesn't know Jesus, has never given their life over to Jesus, Lord, I pray that today your grace would draw them in and show them how good you are. Remind them of how much grace that you have to offer them. And Lord, if there's any of us here today who somehow have convinced ourselves that we don't need as much grace as someone else, would you break our hearts of that pride and would you remind us that there is no one in this room in need of more grace than me. And you have enough to give it all 
to give it all to all of us. And Father, as we, we leave this room today after gathering for a time of worship of you, a time of praise to you, a time of prayer reminding ourselves we must depend on you, then a time of opening up your word to remind us that you have our story already written and you are just revealing moment by moment what is going on and the why behind it. And Lord, you are in absolute control. Would you allow our hearts to be so overwhelmed by who our Jesus is that we just can't help but tell other people about our Jesus. You are so good. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you don't know this Jesus, I'll be at the back doors after the service. I would love to introduce our Jesus to you because he's a good, good God. Father, I pray that you take our hearts, that you mold us more into Christ and that you give us opportunities to share this week. In your name we pray, amen. Would you stand with me and let's...